We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Another thing I neglected to mention is uh, maybe some of you already knew this already, but we're on Facebook. Some people were on Facebook today. And we found out that Katie is pregnant. Katie. Uh, and so, you know, our missionary in Cambodia, she's going to have child number three, so we're really excited. Isn't that cool? Man, God is so good. So keep them in prayer. But today we're going to be in Titus chapter 2. If you have a Bible, let's open up there. Today my son came in to the room and he asked, Hey, Dad, what are you going to be teaching on today? And uh, I told him, I'm going to be in Titus chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 5. And he said, that's it? Just five verses? And I said, yeah, but you're going to see, son, as I go through the study, that I'm not even really going to be able to dive in as deep as I would, as I would like, because there is so much packed into this passage right here. We're going to see that just as every part of our physical body is vital and valuable, so every member of the congregation is crucial, critical as well. You know, you might think, well, it's just the pastors, it's just the leaders, it's just the overseers. Absolutely not. You know, for a healthy body to function, it requires a contribution from every single member. And that means you. And we're going to talk today specifically about older men. Sometimes an older man may think, well, my day is, you know, the best is behind me. Absolutely not. God still wants to use your life, older man, in a mighty way. I want to talk about older women. And I don't know who that is. I would never identify you as an older woman. <laughs> and uh, oh, uh, younger women. And we're going to see the beautiful work that God wants to do. It's so cool. Look what it says here. First of all, with pastors, he says in verse 1, As for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to wine, uh, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. He begins, first of all, with instructions uh, to pastors. Uh, Paul is writing to Pastor Titus, and in the context here, he's contrasting him. If you remember, the previous verses were to false teachers who didn't even know the Lord. And so Paul tells him right there in verse 1, You speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. The word sound, we're going to see it throughout this letter a lot, is really important. And what it really means is healthy. It means healthy. Paul says, I want you to teach and speak the words, the truth in such a way so that the congregation would have healthy teaching and with healthy teaching, they'll have healthy beliefs and with healthy beliefs, they will have healthy behavior. The congregation will be a healthy church. And that's so important, you guys. That is such a, a huge issue. Uh, we know that physically. I think we know the difference when we're not healthy and when we are. You know, we know the difference, right? Um, and that's, you know, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, the Lord will kind of deal with us in issues like that. But, at, you know, the health and from a spiritual context is absolutely, eternally, infinitely much more important than the health physically. You know, and, and right here, Paul is telling him, you got to make sure that you teach him right. You've got to make sure that it's not just uh, topical teachings. Give them the full counsel of God. Give them a complete diet. You've got to make sure that you're you know, teaching the Bible. And you know, you're giving them not just psychology or sociology or anthropology or whatever it is. Not just your opinion. But you're really sharing with them the word of God. You know, we all know that a large part of being healthy physically is a good diet. Right? I mean, you've got your fiber in the morning. You've got your fruits and veggies. Do you guys eat those? You've got your good carbs, protein, healthy fats, calcium, you know, lots of water, stuff like that, right? And, and to be wholly healthy, 
you know, you got to stay away from greasy food, from junky food, from fatty foods, except for pizza and apple fritters. Those are the only two exceptions, right? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. You guys know you have to limit yourself on stuff like that. Abstain from it. If you really want to be healthy, a large part of being healthy is a good diet. And that's true physically, and that's also true spiritually, because we are what we eat, which is why Paul tells Titus to speak and to teach and to preach the things that are proper or fitting for healthy doctrine. That's what the word proper really means. It means fitting. And here's the thing, you guys. You, know, you say you're a Christian, and you got the bumper sticker, and you wear the t-shirt, and you go to the church. You know, but does your, does your life match your lips? I mean, is your practice matching your profession? It's kind of like, you know, when a person doesn't do it right, it's kind of like uh, something that just doesn't fit. You know, I remember one time, uh, I, I, my brother, oh, he's not here. Well, he's a, a bigger guy, huskier guy. We'll just put it that way, okay? And he brought my sweater. And I remember when he put it on, it was just so tight. We were just like laughing. We're like, man, that's a little too small for you. It doesn't fit, you know? Um, I like to try things on when I go shopping. I don't go shopping that much. But when I do, I like to just take care of business. I need a new shirt. Okay, I'll go. You know, boom, boom, boom. But I always like to try it on. Do you guys try your, your clothes on before you buy them? Because of many reasons, you know, one of the reasons is it might be too big, it might, the, I don't know, it just doesn't button right, it might be too small. Sometimes it's even the color. You're like, you know what, dude, that's not your color. <laughs> you know, you want to try it on, you want to make sure it fits right. And there's something about when it fits right, um, even today, you know, I've I got to be honest with you, what happened was my, I was asking my wife if she knew where my pants were, because she was packing all my stuff for Mexico, right? And so uh, she said, they're in the dryer. I said, oh, you put them in the dryer? <coughs> Normally, she doesn't put them in the dryer. Normally, she hangs them dry because my jeans, they fade fast. But she's like, oh, yeah, I put them in the dryer, but just for a couple of minutes. I said, okay. So I put them on, and I'm like, hey, they shrunk. <laughs> and she's like, no, sweetheart, they're only in the dryer for like a minute, two minutes. I wanted to get their wrinkles out. I said, oh, I think they don't fit right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I basically... Sometimes you look at a person and they might, you know, they might just say all the right words. But you look at their life and you're like, hmm, something's not like Jesus. That's not fitting. That's not fitting. That's not proper. You know, I always tell you guys, we as Christians, we don't live perfect lives. We can't yet. We try to, but we can't yet. But we should live proper lives. We should. And that's why Paul tells Titus, a large part of that, you know, our church is so dependent on good teaching. And that's why he says, as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And then he begins to get specific. And he begins, first of all, with the older men there in verse 2. Notice again that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith in love and in patience. Paul tells Titus how to be. Paul tells Titus how to be preaching, and he tells Titus to tell the older men how to be and how to behave. And that means that probably doesn't come naturally all the time. How many of you here would consider yourself an older man, just out of curiosity? You know, and, and that's a hard thing. You know, I was thinking about that today. I feel like a tween. I still feel in between. You know, but you talk to the young guy over here and he says, Manny, you're old. You're old. You're an older man. And then you talk to the older guy over here. And I'll be honest with you. This guy's in his 60s and his 70s and he's been walking with the Lord for a long time. And I think, wow, older man. I was talking to my wife. I said, well, when do you get like discounts? You know, when you go to Denny's. <laughs> She said, when you're 55. I said, when you start collecting Social Security? When can you do the 62? So anyways, I don't know what the age is, but I think for a lot of us here, we know that now we've come to the stage, an age in our life where we are older men. And with that older man status, there is a certain conduct that God expects of us. You know, my son's 17, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'll watch him and I think, son, you grew up in the church. You know the Bible better than probably 95% of this country does. And sometimes I'll kind of come down hard on him. 
But then the Lord reminds me, you know, I understand you got to be spirit led and you need to correct and things like that. But he's still very young. You, on the other hand, you're an older man. And there is a conduct that is expected of men that are older, especially men that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And I want to encourage you, if you're an older man today, to just embrace this calling Embrace the expectation that's biblical that God has for us as older men. You know, I I don't know if you consider yourself, well, I'll let you decide, but I do want you to know that you are valuable, you are vital in this church. It's not just the pastor, it's not just those signed up for ministry. It's every single person here, when every single older man and older woman and younger woman, and we're going to see next week, younger, everybody, when everybody understands that I'm a part of a body of Christ and I have expectations and a contribution to give, I tell you what, this church will thrive and the world will never be the same. There's a maturity that's expected. You know, I also have to say that sometimes older people think they're not needed. That the younger generation is okay without them. And they're not. You're here today. You're a young person. I want to encourage you. I want to implore you to know that you need older, godly men in your life. They might not dress cool or with skinny jeans or whatever it is that you think they need, man. But you need older men and mentors in your life. And the older men, you ask God to bring younger men in your life. Because they need you. Sometimes they didn't have a dad. They never had that male role model. And God expects us as older men to make a difference in their life. You know, sometimes older people think they're not needed, but they are. And God will still do a work in your life. You know, I love Psalm 92, verse 14. The Bible says, They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. I look at that passage right there and I think, Wow, Lord, you know, it, uh, you know the world has a mentality that now you're in your prime when you're whatever, you know, 30s and 40s. Absolutely not. For Christians, the Bible says the sun grows brighter and brighter until the end. We can still bear fruit as an old age. But at the same time, I need to tell you this. Sometimes older people think that just because they're older, that they're always right and right on for God. But that isn't always the case either, huh? Proverbs 16.31 says, A silver-haired head is a crown of glory, If, and look at I put the word if in big right there, if it is found in the way of righteousness. You see, I dye my hair gray because I want people to think I'm wise, right? (laughs) No, but just because you have gray hair, it doesn't mean that you're wise, but you should be. You should be by now. You've been through so much in your life. We've hit our head against that wall a thousand times. We should have learned by now. Many lessons in life. And God is saying now, as you're an older man, I want to encourage you to know that you are very vital and valuable, crucial and critical in the life of the church. There are certain expectations for you that you need to embrace. And so he begins right here by listing six things to take to heart. Notice again in verse 1, As for you, speak the things which are proper, fitting for sound doctrine teaching that the older men, here it is, be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and in patience. And so the Greek word translated sober, it means to restrain. It means to restrain from indulging in your desires. The other two times it's found in the Bible is translated temperate, which means moderation or self-restraint. You know, and, and so to be sober, obviously, is not to be drunk. It's, a, it's to be really, you know, under a different influence, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You know, and, you know, sometimes you see guys, on all honesty, they never grow up. You know, how many of you have friends like that? Guys that just never grow up. You know, I have, I'm, I'm, I have a couple of guys that, I'm, that I have friends with. That one time, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but when I was younger... 
I used to I used to play guitar in a heavy metal band. Don't tell anybody I told you that, but you know it's funny, man. These guys. I mean, that was what thirty years ago. Okay, now I I I, I run into these guys. They're still doing the same thing. They never grow up. They never like come to that place where they become sober or stop drinking. They never come to that place where they become sober. The same word is translated vigilant. You're watching over this whole thing because life is a war. You know, they still kind of give in to the desires of the flesh. They have no self-restraint. And then the second word he uses right here, they're to be sober and they are to be reverent. This Greek word right here speaks of someone who's honorable, someone who's dignified as a disciple. And so, you know, sometimes we like demand respect. Hey, I'm an older man. Stand up. I'm an older man. Respect me. And I, I think it's cool. If you're a young guy, you should do that. But also I think the flip side should be as an older man, you know, earn it. Live a life that is reverent and dignified as a disciple of Christ. Be a man who is sober and, you know, you don't lose control, which is what that third word speaks of. The word temperate is the Greek word that is similar to sober, but speaks of someone with a sound mind who curbs their desires and impulses. One who exercises self-control. And so, you know, as older men, God wants you to be sober. God wants you to be reverent. The other day, some guy came up to me and after the funeral and he said, are you a reverend? And I said, I wish. I, I want to be. I want to be reverent towards God. I want to be a man who's dignified one day as a disciple. But I'm not there yet. I haven't earned my stripes yet. I've got a long ways to go. But that's my goal. One day, I want to grow to be And I don't know, maybe I'll make it to my 60s, I don't know, 70s, but I tell you what, wouldn't it be cool if the Lord tarried? I'd rather have the Lord come back. But wouldn't it be cool, man, if you grew and you grew and you grew into a godly man? You know, for me, my my spiritual grandpa, Pastor Chuck Smith. I have another spiritual grandpa, Pastor Adrian Rogers. But they're in heaven. We need spiritual grandpas. I want to be one, maybe one day. That's got to be our goal. Older men, you got to be sober, you got to be reverent, you got to be temperate. When I look at the word temperate, I think of the word temper. The word temper is in the word temperate. I'm not sure if there's any connection there, but I think of a lot of guys who lose their temper all the time. It's like, come on, dude, you're 56 years old now. Why are you still losing your temper? You're supposed to be temperate. You're supposed to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You know, as a man, you know, who's godly, you walk into that home and you get home with your family, it's almost like you're a thermostat. You're temperate and you kind of control the temperature of your home. God says, that's what I want the men to be. And then he says, I want them to be sound. There's, what's the word? Healthy, Right? Healthy in faith, healthy in love, and healthy in patience. You know, healthy in faith. It's like, come on, man. You know, why is your walk up and down and all around? That's not right. Healthy in faith means that you believe in God and you believe in the word of God. And you are not tossed to and fro like that doubting person mentioned in James chapter 1. By now, you've been walking with the Lord for this long. You older man should be a believer. You're healthy in the faith. And you know the word of God because you've been studying in all these years. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the more of the word that you know, the more faith you can exercise in God. God has flexed his muscles through your whole life. He's shown you who he is. But it's crazy how sometimes you see these guys that have been walking with the Lord all these years. And it's like, man, they're not, they don't really believe. God says, as an older man, I want you to be strong in the faith. I want you to be strong in love and sound in love. You know, and, and so here you are now, and, and you know, we know how love is. It's not always a comforting love. Sometimes it's a corrective love. You love God first, and then you love others, but you really do love them. You love the flock. 
and you do what God's called you to do. You don't just love pizza. You know, you know the difference now. You know what true love is. You know that love is not just a feeling. It's not based on emotions. It's not separate from emotions, but it's not based on emotions. Love is unconditionally, sacrificially seeking someone else's highest good. Expecting nothing in return. You learn about love. And you know, as an older man, you're, this is you. You're healthy in the faith. You're healthy in love. And you're healthy in patience. And that word right there, it speaks of endurance. You're not a splitter. You're not a quitter. You know who you believe. You are there. You are planted firmly in the house of God, in the body of Christ. Because you've been walking with the Lord for now a long time now. You're a seasoned saint. And the church needs that. I pray you would know that as an older man. That's what God wants you to be. That's what God wants your behavior to be. And we've got to take these things to heart. You know, I see some guys sometimes and I just wonder, man, where is this? One guy said in the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved by his deliberate purpose, from his deliberate purpose, and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. So I don't know if you've ever seen those fights, those boxing fights, and one day that guy just gets, boom, he just gets hit square, right in the jaw. And you're thinking, man, you know, he can't take that punch. You can take a punch because you have a relationship with God. You are, you, are, you are abiding in the vine. You are plugged in to, to God, to Jesus Christ. And even though we go through the greatest trials of life, as an older man, we have, we have endurance now. You guys know what a quitter is, huh? I remember when I used to wrestle. You know, we used to get all these guys come out in the first meeting. You know, I want to be a wrestler. And so you get 100 guys out and come in the try out for wrestling. But when they find out what it really is, by the time it's all said and done, man, you've probably got 30 guys. Because everyone else, they just can't handle it. It's just so hard. You know, and then you find out, okay, well, this is our team. This is our team. And the church gets tested. Older man, this is who God wants you to be. Some guys never grow up. But some guys never give up. I pray that we as pastors would be preaching the word. Teaching the older men how to be. And and teaching the older women as well. Notice there in verse 3. It says the older women likewise that they be reverent. In behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. Now one thing I know, my wife will never be an older woman. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. She, she might even be there right now, but she, I can say that because she's not here for this service. Man, you know. The Lord will show you, but I think some of you ladies, you know, that's me. I'm an older woman now. I maybe have raised my children. I've gone through the struggles maybe in my, maybe in my marriage, maybe in my life. And then you begin to pray and God begins to show you things about how you are to be as well. Again, it doesn't always come naturally. These are things that needed to be taught from the pulpit. Right here, as far as the older women, he says in verse 3 that they are to be uh, reverent in behavior. Now, the Greek word here is completely different from the one earlier translated reverent. It speaks of behaving reverently toward the sacred things of God. As a matter of fact, the word translated behavior here speaks of a behavior in sacred service. And it's kind of like this, you guys. You know, you might look at the role of a pastor or, you know, like a priest in the temple of those days, and you might think a sacred office, a sacred office, or that individual right there, you know, sacred service. But God is basically saying here, when you look at the Greek language, your reverent behavior 
is in reference to a sacred service that you have as older women. You know, and God's going to use your life in a mighty way. You know, Paul here tells them that they need to behave, they need to be. It begins, first of all, with a couple of negatives. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, and not given to much wine. Now, the culture of the day, if you were to look up Crete in that day, ladies were drinkers. Ladies were drinkers. And sorry to say, like today, ladies were gossips. Ladies were slanderers. Now, I don't know if you guys know the Greek word here for slanderer. It's very similar to a Spanish word. It's diabolos. And it, 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 will, it, will, it will just, it will do the deepest, darkest damage to the church. It is so hideously ugly when these older women are slanderers. They do the work of the devil. To be a slanderer is an individual who throws these accusations and they bring sin in as, as, as maybe sometimes gobs of gossip, a prayer request. It's disguised as a prayer request. Let me tell you, little sheep, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. God says, as an older woman, I don't want you to do that. Your lips are made for things much greater than gossip or drinking wine. Your lips are made to kiss the feet of Jesus. Your lips are made to share, we're going to see, teaching good things to other women. Be careful. I, I hate gossip. I stay away. So I stay so far away. Sometimes people think, well, it's just because he doesn't want to you know, face it or confront it or talk about it. It's not that. It's just that I am so afraid of gossip. I am so afraid of slandering someone or speaking in such a way that would paint a person in a negative picture because I fear God. I'd rather just take it to the Lord in prayer. So the Lord says, you older women, you have such a sacred service in the body of Christ. Let me share a couple of things that you're vulnerable to. One might be gossip and slander. Don't do that because when you do that, you're acting like the devil. Another is drinking. That word right there, given to, to, to much wine, given to wine, it speaks of being a doulos, enslaved, and bondage to those things. No, Ephesians 5.18, and I think I need to say it with the, for the ladies and say it for the men as well. You know, in the end of the day, it comes back to that. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Do not be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life. But be filled with the Spirit under the influence of God. Not that stuff. You don't need that stuff. You don't need to drink to have a good time. You don't need to drink and be a person that you're really not. Be who God made you to be. And you grow in that. Right here he says, the older women have much better things to do. And then he gives seven things in the next two verses that deal primarily with the way that older women are to be pouring into younger women. He says right here, in verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And this is so important, you guys. So important. I cannot tell you how vital this is. If you're a younger woman today, how many of you are younger women? You know who you are, huh? Younger woman here today. Do you realize? How valuable you are. Because you're raising your kids. 
And you know, you're, you're there and you're, you're going to see, you're, you're making a home. And the older women are teaching the younger women these things. And then the younger women, they learn and they glean and then they grow. And then they raise their kids in the ways of the Lord. And then their kids go out and change the world. It's been said that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And that's why it's so important what we're sharing today. So older women are to be pouring into younger women. And you know, I get my opportunity, I get to teach from the pulpit, but when the push comes to shove... You know, I'm not going to get a younger woman under my wing and say, okay, sit down and pour into you. You know, and we as a church, we have women's studies and we're getting ready to start those up again. And those are valuable and vital. I've seen it uh, over throughout all the church, over all the years. I've seen the effectiveness of women's studies. But we are not talking about a single woman's study. That's not the context. That's not the Greek word. God will use it, but we're talking about older men, plural, in their totality, every single one of you. We're talking about older women, plural, in their totality, every single one of you. God wants to use your life. And so you pray, Lord, hook us up. You know, you start watching. Sometimes these women didn't have a role model as well. And God says, I want you to admonish them. Now, the Greek word, most translations translate this Greek word here to train. This is much more than teaching. This is training them. This is much more than verbal instruction, although that might be part of it. It's just a lot more handing them. You know, this is how I did it when I had my five kids. This is how I did it when I had struggles with whatever the case may be. Maybe even with your husband. You've been through the trenches. You know the word of God and now you can train them. You can show them. You can model. You can mentor. You know, it's so crazy. It's sad today. Today, modeling. When you think of modeling and a girl, you think of these ladies who spent millions of dollars and they got their operations or whatever. They're they're skinny as a toothpick and they made $42 million last year and that's the model. No, that shouldn't be the model. Model should be a godly woman. And they need to to see it. How'd you do it with your five kids? It wasn't easy. They have compassion because they know it's not easy. You know, it's cool when you see it done. I got to share with you guys... um, not too long ago, my wife, her door handle on her car, 2020 Camry, it broke. And so, um, you know, to my shame, I took too long to fix it. And so, you know, it's a drag not being able to open your, your car door on the inside. And so what you have, every single time we have to roll down the window, open it from the outside. And I thought, well, what if, you know, something happened? And so finally I went online. Peter told me, you can buy it on Amazon, bro. Okay, so I went on Amazon, I got the part, but I'm not mechanically inclined. I'm not. Some of you guys here, man, you can do anything. You can build a house. I'm sorry, man, I can't change a tire, okay? <laughs> and so I got this thing, and I'm looking at my door, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, man, how is this going to happen? How can I possibly do this? And it was so cool because my wife, she went on YouTube and they said, there's this guy right here and he'll model it for you. He'll show you exactly how to do it step by step. And it was so cool. I went outside, I got my screwdriver, I prayed, and then I went and I got the video right there and I just step by step, they modeled it for me. They showed, they, you know, illustrated it for me. And I, can you believe it? I fixed my wife's car, man. (laughs) Is you know, and... I mean, it's just, you can't, if I would have just read it in a book, I wouldn't, have been, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I need to see it. How did you do it with five kids? How did you do it with seven kids? How did you do it with 13 kids or whatever? I need to see it. How did you do it when times got tough? This is how. And sometimes they're even watching you in the process. See, when you're teaching, you're, and you're admonishing right here. We get to the Greek, not the English. You're training them. God will use your life. We know that to train is to teach a person a particular skill or type of behavior through practice and instruction over a period of extended time. In this case, by God's grace, it means to train someone. And we see right here in areas of self-control. 
Notice again, it says right here that they admonish the young women. And this so cool, man, when the Lord will use you to help them in areas of self-control, um, to come to that place of discipline. Believe it or not, looking at the Greek language, it even speaks of sanity. Lord, restore sanity to the life of our young ladies. So cool when you look at what God can do. And he says right there, this is what I want you to teach them. Number three to, uh, to verse three, four, to love their husbands. To love their husbands. How many of you are husbands? You love that verse, huh? Sweetheart, just love me. And so the lady comes to the older woman and, you know, she's upset. And you can tell she's upset because she has her hands on her hips. Do you know what my husband did? Do you, do, I, and then because she doesn't know better. She's a young lady. Do you know what my husband did? And so the older woman says, love him. Love him. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried that? The counsel of the world, they say, lead him. Lead him. Set him straight. Tell him what to do. The counsel of the world might even say, leave him. You deserve better. But the counsel of God says, love him. Love him. You know, and maybe he'll change. Maybe he won't. But you will. You see? You you know what my kids did? You know what they did? Okay? And you know, it's like, you throw the chunkle at them and they still do it. (laughs) Do you know what they did? And, And believe it or not, God says, love them. I already love my kids. Every mom loves her kids. Hmm. Do you? You know, sometimes I think that wives see kids as a burden and not a blessing. They're a blessing. They're a blessing. We would have had more if we could, but it was all in God's hands. Two are in heaven, two on earth. Children are a blessing. I never heard of a a parent saying, sorry, they had another kid. No way, because those kids are awesome. And they bring joy. And I know not everybody here can have kids. And so don't, you know, I hope, pray that you wouldn't be beat up by the enemy. God knows. God has a plan for all of our lives, but you can still make a difference. Right? And sometimes you adopt kids. You ever see my wife carrying babies? You guys ever see her carry? All the time, man. And let me tell you, with every single one, and she holds them for a while, and she loves them, and she took little Abigail in, you know, after first service, and, and she was, Abigail was smiling at me, we were just, man, enjoying her, and she's all, yeah, I got to enjoy her, because when they, when they get older, they find someone better, you know, and, <laughs> and then so we're, we get excited for all the new babies when they come. But God is just saying, you older women, when you're teaching the younger women, man, these are the things that you've got to tell them. You've got to tell them about how they are, they're called to love their husbands. And they are called to, to love their children. You know, this is what they're called to do. Yes, but I have five, and they're under the age of five. <laughs> and that's when you glean from these ladies. I'm not saying it's easy, but man, you learn, and you love them, and you watch what happens. Of course, it's a correcting love as well as a comforting love, but you've got to make sure that you guard your heart and you don't buy into the mentality of the world. Sometimes I get the privilege, I'll be honest with you, I get the privilege of seeing these moms. She raised four, she raised four boys on her own or she has five kids. And I'm just like, man, it's amazing to me. He says to teach them, verse 5, to be discreet. And that word right there, it means uh, curbing one's desires and impulses. It literally speaks of being self-controlled. You teach the ladies these things, you know. And remember, you guys, and I probably already told you a million times, but I think it's just so important and so helpful to know that we are not called to control other people. You know, I think a lot of times we want to control them. And God says, they're mine. They belong to me. You are called to control yourself by the Holy Spirit. 
And when you exercise self-control, and you teach the ladies that, self-control, then watch what God does in the lives of those that are around you. But you don't focus on changing them. Stop focusing on changing them. Change yourself. You know, marriage is not just for happiness. I hope you're happy. Part of it. But marriage is primarily for holiness. God is making you more like Jesus. And that's a wonderful plan that he has. He says to be discreet. He says to be chaste. And you teach these young girls this. Purity. You know, chastity. Modesty. And you share that with them. They might not be able to make it to the study. And you... You develop a relationship with them. You don't just go up to that girl over there and say, hey, you know, you got to do this. First, prove to her that you love her. And not just, you know, in a superficial way, really love her. And then that, what that does is it kind of earns, well, they care about me. You see, not in a self-righteous way. Not in a demeaning way, but in a very tender, loving way. The way the Lord does it with us. Because I've heard, and there have been stories, and you know, sometimes where they never come back. Well, I told them. And they never come back. See, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. It's being led by the Spirit. It's putting it all together. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. It's the right word spoken in the right way at the right time, led by God. Not in a self-righteous way. But you do that. And we, the Lord does such a work in the church to teach them to be discreet, chaste, homemakers. And so you go and you get them a Home Depot card. You know, and... Hey, right now, man, it's 18 months, no interest. I'm serious. <laughs> no, you guys know what this means, right? This is, a key, this is a keeper at home. It's a worker at home, caring for the house and the household. It's interesting. This word right here speaks particularly of guarding the home. It's a different Greek word than others that are used. And so, you know, the kids get out of line. You're just watching over your house. You're guarding it. Um, mom's like a hawk. You know, the other day we did the service for Grandma Sally and one of the kids from the neighborhood said she was like a hawk. You know, be that. <laughs> and you're just caring and you're watching over the ways of your household. Proverbs thirty-one twenty-seven talks about that. You're making food for your household. Proverbs thirty-one fifteen talks about that. And if you read Proverbs 31, it's about the virtuous woman. A beautiful, beautiful description, I think, for you ladies. You go through and you pray, God, make this me. But you know, it says that she rises early. It says that in the Hebrew, she rises early and makes salsa. In, in the, real early in the morning. She rises early and she makes homemade tortillas, right? And she makes food for her house. You know, and I don't want to get overstep my boundaries. Don't get me wrong on this, you guys. But you know what? Your homemade food is way better than McDonald's. Your homemade food is way better than eating out. Except for pyology. That's the only one. <laughs> I'm just joking. But you know, you teach them, hey, sweetheart, you know, watch over the ways of your household. You know, God's called you to make this home. A wise woman builds up her home. She doesn't tear it down. You know, when I go home and, you know, being in the ministry, and I know you guys, we all have our stress. We all have our problems. We all have our issues. But being in the ministry is such a burden. There's this always, always hurting people, always things, always questions, always challenges. When I go home, I don't want to talk about the ministry. I want a sanctuary. I want to spend time with my family. Play basketball with my son or, you know, watch Leave it to Beaver with my daughter. I mean, we have to talk about things. Don't get me wrong. But as a wife, you create that atmosphere of love, agape love. 
All these things, you know. And I think that's part of the reason why your homemade food, it tastes so good. Not just because you're a good cook. You're like, hey, I don't even need to measure it. <laughs> it's because you make it with love. Don't you, don't you agree? It even says that she makes clothes for her kids in Proverbs 31.21. See, and you have this woman right here who is making this home. And she is raising her children in the ways of the Lord. And it's just an amazing, awesome thing. That's why I think women are amazing. I, I think I learned that. Probably I started learning it about maybe later in life, five, six years. Now I look at my wife. I look at her. I'm just blown away. And I see how amazing she is and how amazing women are. In the Lord. You do things the way the Lord calls you to. It says right here to be discreet and chaste, homemakers. Be good, okay? <laughs> be good. My wife's favorite scripture is Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. But be good to them. Proverbs 31.12 says she does him good and not evil. All the days of her life. Be good to your husband. All the husbands are going, I love this study. (laughs) You know, you don't forget to read Ephesians 5. It says, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. And when you put it all together, it's just so amazing when things are done God's way. It says right here that you're to teach them to be good and obedient to their own husbands that the word of God may not be blasphemed. The Greek word right here is hupotasso, which means to arrange under and to subordinate. It means that wives must allow their husbands to lead the family. You know, Mary was a godly woman. I don't know if there was any other godlier woman than Mary who was the one privileged to give birth to Jesus. I mean, she bore God's son in her, in her tummy. She, she was a godly woman, but God did not lead their family through Mary. God led their family through Joseph. The angel appeared to in a dream to Joseph and, and led him. And the angel spoke to Joseph and, you know, a lot of times, wives, you know, they, they want to lead their husbands. And, and, you know, as a husband, you got to listen. If she's going against what you're saying, you take back and you take it to the Lord. But, man, husbands, don't follow your wife. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. And I don't say that in any way to say anything bad about women. I already told you I think they're better than men. Uh, smarter than men. They're just so amazing. Sometimes they're more spiritual sensitive. But what ends up happening is this, is when you start learning to let your wife lead your family, and you're like, you know, she says, he's the head, I'm the neck, and I I wear the pants in the family. I've seen it a lot of times. I've seen it. Well, what appears to be a very godly situation is really a situation where the wife is leading the family. I see it. And it does damage to the church. If my wife comes to me, a lot of times she'll say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And a lot of times, you know what I'll do? I'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys ever do that, husbands? Because you're like, that's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. What you end up doing is you start, you know, relinquishing your leadership. You start basically saying, you know, it's really an ugly thing. I don't care. And God is just saying, no, every decision that you make is vital. And you need to learn to be a leader and make decisions. And what ends up happening is when you really realize, when I really realize, one day I will give account to God of my leadership, not to you or him or her, but to God. It makes me hear the voice of God. Because I'm a leader. And wives, they have to allow you got to allow your husband to lead. And you're like, oh no, we're going to crash. <laughs> <laughs> Trust the Lord. 
Trust the Lord. You know, have faith in the Lord that He will lead you. He will lead you. Unless He tells you to sin, straight out, clearly sin, let your husband lead. Because that's what the Bible says. You're to arrange yourself under Him. And what ends up happening is when you work together, God does a great work. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's pretty heavy. Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's the way it should be, right, for those Christian families. And then in Peter 3.1, it says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of, of their lives. She is so godly that she wins them to the Lord. See, that's the power that you have. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult because I believe part of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 was that you would want to rule over your husband. It's in you. Part of the fall. Your desire will be for him. I think that really means you're going to want to rule over him. But he shall rule over you. That's what God says. And you got to do this. It's so important. Notice that last part right here. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Man, it's so cool when we do things God's way. When preachers preach the word of God, sound doctrine... And they tell older men and younger men and younger women and older women and they begin to just share responsibilities as a church. We go through the Bible, line upon line, precept upon precept, you get the full counsel of God. And then what ends up happening is older men, they rise to their challenge. Older women, they rise to their challenge. Younger women are influenced in a godly way. Things really begin to change. But when it's not fitting, when they're not behaving the way they should, that what ends up happening is it causes the word, it causes the church, it causes in one sense of God, it gives the enemy ammunition to blaspheme God. And if you think about it today, and we'll close with this, if you think about it today, what type of reputation does the church have? Generally speaking, we have lost our witness. This little light of ours has not shined the way it should. But we cannot give up. We've got to ask God, God, help us to do things your way. God, let this light begin to shine. Let this fire begin to burn. Let pastors preach. Let older men, let older women, let younger women begin to live what your word says. So that rather than having a testimony that would be Uh, in one sense, blasphemous, we would have a testimony that would be powerful. Lenski said this, if the women fail in what Paul here asks, he fears lest the word of God be blasphemed, lest the whole gospel be vilified. So much depends on the women, in great part on the young women of the church, the world will, to a great extent, judge the churches by the character which the gospel produces in the lives of the people. And so my prayer, you guys, I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord, but man, I pray that we would all just get excited, you know. Not an emotional excitement that will fade away, but really, Lord, you know what? You're, you're coming soon. And I've been playing church for just a little too long. I'm not much, God. I'm not worthy. I'm not able. And we are people of humility. We know who we are apart from Christ. But we also know now who we are as a part of the body of Christ. And we have responsibility. We have responsibility to live these things and do these things. And by faith we know that God is going to change the world through us. On Thursday night, we went over a study about Naaman the leper and how he was cleansed. And the Bible says that he was cleansed when he dipped in the Jordan seven times. He dipped in the Jordan seven times. The Jordan River. And so you're like, well, why did he dip in the river seven times? Because seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. 
You know, you might be coming to church every week, it doesn't matter. You may be walking with the Lord for 27 years, it doesn't matter. Maybe, just maybe, you haven't really dipped in the Jordan seven times. One time, two times, it won't help you. Three times, four times, it's really not what God's calling for. Five or six is not enough. We have to dip in the Jordan seven times. An absolute and total surrender to the lordship and love of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, I pray that today, stop playing church. Today you would. I'm all in, God. I'm all in. Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace in our life, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord, because it's the only compass I have. Thank you for your word. It's the final authority in my life. And Lord, I just pray for these people here today. You love them, you called them. And I just, you know them, Lord. And I really, really pray that if any of them today, they don't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. And real quick, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you've kind of been in and out, maybe just dipped a few times, but today you want all in. You want to really give your life to Christ. You want to become a Christian because you know your sins have separated you from him and Jesus died for you on that cross, put him in a grave and he rose again the third day. And the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You put your faith in Jesus. If you're here today and you want to do that, just raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. You make that decision. It's a simple decision. I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want him to be the Lord of my life. Maybe you've been messing around, playing church. Maybe someone invited you and you're like, no, I don't know much. I, do, I know this. I need Jesus. Then raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for that hand that went up. So precious. Anyone else? You make that decision. Today, no more playing games. Today, I'm all in. Today is an absolute surrender to him anyone else don't be afraid because there's a battle thank you Lord for the hand that went up there's a battle for your soul right now maybe you can feel it in your heart you're like I don't know what to do I don't know what to do don't let the devil win it's a simple step of faith I've seen many people totally transformed by raising their hands because what it is is saying God I need you in my life Come in. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus, for all the hands that have gone up. And so let me pray for you. And what I'm going to ask if you raise your hand, after we're done singing this song, if you raise your hand, please come up. And we're going to give you a Bible and we're going to pray for you. And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God breathes into you and you receive the Holy Spirit and your sins are forgiven. It's so cool, the life that God offers. Lord, I thank you for those that raise their hand. Lord, I, I just thank you for the decisions that were made to follow you. Thank you for the life that you offer us and that more abundantly. And I pray, God, for just everyone here Lord, that you would continue to just work in us. Give us, the Lord, this week something new. I believe you're doing a new work. And so we thank you, we love you, we praise you. And we ask, Lord God, that you go before us as we go out into the highways and byways and valleys and alleys. As we uh, battle the enemy, the world and the flesh. God, I pray you give us a victory. Love you and thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.